The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm here with James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Uh, good morning, chaps. Morning, morning Ian. Morning. Um, James, uh, it's nice. You, you, you managed to get back home from Brighton <laughs> on yeah, Saturday. Just about. Just, I've just finished wringing out my clothes <laughs> and my skin uh, yeah. from a, a very wet and windy day on the south coast. Yeah, quite well. I mean, it is one of those away matches that um, you think, oh, Brighton away. It, it sounds like, oh, everyone want to do that. I mean, I went to Bournemouth away and that was a bit of a nightmare. I was going to ask you, actually, um, those sort of away trips, as an opening question, those sort of away trips where you think, oh, I must do that. But then you sort of actually do it and think, actually, this is a bit of a nightmare. Uh, James, we'll come to you first. Brighton is really the one, isn't it, though? Yeah, it feels so appealing. You know, the English Riviera. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You think it's going to be this picturesque scene. And of course, you're still in the United Kingdom, so the weather's still terrible. And getting to the ground is a bit of a pain. Getting out of the ground, actually on the weekend, was a bit of a nightmare in terms of sort of the queues for the trains afterwards, etc., which doesn't help when the rain's pouring down on top of you too. I'm trying to think of other ones that kind of promise more than they deliver. I mean, I actually think... I don't know if you've ever been to the new camp, Barcelona. But oh, that's yeah. a bit of a nightmare for an away fan. <laughs> in terms rubbish. of the fact that you're sort of kept in a bird's nest, essentially, at the very top of the stadium um, and only really let out what feels like several hours after the game's actually transpired. Yeah. I, I went, I took my son to Barcelona. We had actually quite nice seats. I got them through a, a broadcaster for the Champions League game away. Still, we got soaked. Still, it was a pain to find the uh, exit, uh, or sorry, the entrance, and in fact, to get out of the ground. Um, they did have that nice sort of ham on a bone, though. So oh, in well, the, uh, in the bit fun. that we went to. So it wasn't too bad. And it was undercover, but it was still... The stadium is not really, it's falling apart a little bit, as are the team uh, at the moment. Um, Art, what about you? The the one that comes straight to mind for me is uh, Olympiakos away, Athens, I think. When you hear Athens, you think, oh, it's going to be a great time, best city ever. But you get there, the city's quite, <laughs> the city's quite sketchy, to be honest, where, well, where I stayed anyway. And you're kind of looking over your shoulder the whole time and then you kind of get to the stadium and you think, okay, yeah, this is going to be great. But yeah, it's just one of those where I think you probably build up in your head a bit too much before you get there. And then when you get there, you re- you realise <laughs> it's not actually the best stadium ever. It's not the, the, the atmosphere is good, to be honest. But um, yeah, everything probably around the game itself isn't, isn't the greatest. <laughs> yeah. I'm going Upton Park. Uh, I know it no longer houses football, but it was always a nightmare to get to. I also, by the way, had my scarves nicked when I was 13. <laughs> I got shoved up against the wall by a couple of West Ham toughs, and uh, and they took used to uh, the kids. 
Oh, you won't re- remember this, but the kids used to wear scarves wrapped round you, each arm, each wrist. And uh, I was walking proudly down the street with my Arsenal scarves. I got shoved into an alley and my scarves nicked. Uh, and even as an adult, I don't want to sound like too much of an old man, but parking is a nightmare. And it is just a pain. It was just a pain to get to. Uh, Stratford is a bit better and you do have quite a lot of nice uh, food outlets nearby. Um, so I am sounding like a very old person uh, at this point. Um, I should say that you can read the works of Art, uh, James and also Amy Lawrence and many other athletic writers right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. And you can receive a third off a subscription and hear this podcast without ads too. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. We will talk uh, a little bit about Brighton nil, Arsenal nil. James, you wrote in your piece, it was a, a bit of a come down um, for Arsenal. But Lee Dixon did a tweet. Uh, I think the day after the game, saying, I've played in hundreds of games like that. Uh, you you get a nought nought away, you keep a clean sheet. He said, I would have already forgotten it, move on to the next game. That surely is the attitude, isn't it? Well, I think so, especially when it feels slightly fortuitous that you've got that point. I mean, yeah. you know, Arsenal were the, were the second best team in that game. I think Brighton... You know, it's, it's a decent point for them, but they'll probably look at that and feel like they did about a lot of their games last season where they might well have won it if they'd been a bit more clinical in the final third. From an Arsenal perspective, to come away from that with a clean sheet, with a point, with this unbeaten run continuing, is a pre- pretty decent uh, result all in all because they didn't perform. Um, and there are going to be days like that where you're outplayed by the opposition. I think, you know, not losing was the most important thing in the circumstances. And the fact they were able to come away with that point, with that clean sheet, I think you've got to be fairly relieved and satisfied with that. Given the fact that the quality of the performance we produced was just a long way off what we saw in the North London derby. Yeah, I mean, James, you wrote, and I want to ask you about this, Art, you wrote about um, uh, Gabriel's distribution not being as good as Ben White. He did one pass... I remember, uh, are through to Odegaard, who miscontrolled it. Um, and really, aside from that, he didn't break the lines at all. Yeah, I think with Gabriel, I think he's probably not the one you'd expect, but he can still produce those passes. I remember... He pinged it. The... He really pinged <laughs> it, that one. Yeah. In the, in the North London derby, there were a few straight through the lines to Aubameyang that worked really well. Yes. Um, and you you just want to see it on a, I guess, consistent basis. Obviously, the, the game against Brighton you didn't really have anyone at the same sort of intensity whether that was with their passing through the lines or even with the pressing um, the intensity just wasn't there that was there against Tottenham and I guess that comes to can you really have the same intensity every match day mm, I think teams have proven that you you can to a certain extent but then are this team ready to do that I'm not sure um, and I think yeah with with Gabriel I'm not too worried about that performance from him because I think he's probably one of the players in the side that does have probably a higher standard of performance. But yeah, it, it definitely wasn't <laughs> wasn't a game to, to be remembered by 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 him. No, no, I'll say this wasn't particularly a criticism of him. That was almost the only time I remember a pass breaking the lines, really. Mm. <laughs> um, but it wasn't it wasn't a great performance all round. But James, this is a young. Team, I mean, 
we I think it's the youngest average in the league. That they're almost all under twenty three. We lost one of our most experienced players in Granite Xhaka. I mean, I said to you before we started the podcast uh, that I wanted to talk a little bit about fan overreaction. Now, I don't mind massively celebrating a win against Spurs and feeling euphoric because we all did. And maybe there was an inevitable come down in a game like this. But the, the way that Arsenal Twitter goes into overdrive when we don't score, we don't win two or three nil and we don't play sparkling football... Uh, I, I think people have to take the positives, don't they? And like you say, a clean sheet away, a not not another clean sheet. That is something to uh, to be proud of. Yeah, I mean, I think you always have to be wary of kind of taking the social media sentiment as the true sentiment. And I fall yeah. into that trap myself all the time. But I think that if what being back in the ground, back among the fans, back in a full stadium, has shown me this season. Is is that there is a difference between those two reactions, um, and I don't know if it's a difference between those two sets of people, but I think it might be just more how people express themselves online versus how they actually feel when they're there present in the stadium. There's not a lot of room for nuance, is there? Online, 140 characters. No, no, there's not, and and I think as well, you've got to remember that what you're seeing online is often people's very immediate reaction. You know, the kind of the seconds after the full-time whistle goes, the frustration or whatever it might be, it's not necessarily the most considered response, but it lives there in perpetuity. So we look at it and I think maybe infer more from it than we should. But I think the kind of broader point of how should Arsenal feel about this result, I think you need to look at the run since the international break, really, in which Arsenal have played... I think uh, four league games and a cup game. They've yep. won four of those and drawn one. I think along the way they've had four clean sheets from those five games too. It's a pretty decent return, especially given what came before. And if you kind of think as the post the first international break as a kind of start of our season, which I know may, will frustrate many people, but I think realistically it was given what went on in the transfer window and how far behind we seemed in our preparation and the injury problems and the COVID problems, et cetera, et cetera. I think we've had a pretty decent run there. And, you know, the, the game against Brighton, I think it was a disappointing performance in isolation, but in context, you would absolutely take the point, like you say. Um, Granit Xhaka are... I mean, a lot of people didn't want him in the team. He came back into the team against Spurs after three games out from a red card, played great. I think, James, you used the phrase, he was like a minder, one of the minders for the young players. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, do we miss him more than we'd like to miss him? And I'm talking about the fans by, by, uh, by that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think so. When you see, I guess, the surprise when certain things happen, like him being brought back, in, into the side for the North London derby, his him staying this summer as well. You can see that fans still aren't totally on his side, Xhaka that is, but he is Mikel Arteta's probably main man. He was Arsenal's most used player last season and continues to be an influential figure in the, the way they play. Um, even against Tottenham, I think it was the second goal when Arsenal were playing, playing out and he basically saved Ramsdale's pass and just turned it into about, the goal. Just um, about. Hoiberg just was complaining about, about a foul, yeah. but you know what? It wasn't. But <laughs> but I, I do think in terms of the, the style of play and building up that left side, um, he just brings that, I guess, right foot, left foot balance as well that Mikel Arteta loves a lot. I mean, you saw that with 
Pablo Murray and Gabriel uh, being, I think, two of his first four signings, both left-footed centre-backs. So that's something that Arteta is quite big on. And um, even in pre-season, when uh, Xhaka was still on holiday from uh, the Euros, that his kind of role <laughs> in the side was still being utilised by, it was El Nenny at that point. But um, you could still see that Arteta wanted to play through that kind of channel. And you saw that again at Brighton with Lokonga going into that space between um, Gabriel and Tierney. But yeah. obviously it just didn't work as well. Um, so I think even though, even when he's not in the side, he still has that kind of influence where Arteta knows the way he wants to build and that's the way he's going to try to do it. Um, I guess the the issue with that is when you don't have Shaka, maybe you need to just adapt a little bit to to the players at your disposal. And and that really, I mean, we, there's not a huge amount to talk about with this game, really. But I suppose that thing about the adaptability, in the end, did Mikel Arteta just come up, James, against basically a, a better coach with a team with a more coherent plan who'd been playing together for longer? And in the end, you actually go... I don't care if they're Brighton. Actually, uh, um, in terms of the way the teams are set up, they're probably a better team than us at the moment and we should be happy with an away point. Well, I think they're certainly a much better team than Tottenham Hotspur at the moment. (laughs) And I think that much was evident if you look at the two performances. You know, I think Spurs allowed us to do things that Brighton just didn't and they were very, very well-organised. They were very uh, athletic, energetic, uh, synchronised in their press. And Arsenal really struggled with that. And I thought it was a test of kind of the confidence of these uh, relatively young Arsenal defenders. You know, could they play out under that enormous pressure? And I have to say, I think they really struggled. I think, I don't know if it was the conditions, if it was the momentum of the game, but basically they decided we're not going to do it. We're going to look long. And, you know, every time they did, Lewis Dunk or Dan Byrne would nod the ball back over the halfway line from a bright perspective. Yeah, they've got three six foot three plus centre halves. Yeah. Uh competing with Aubameyang for long goal kicks from Ramsdale. Long goal kicks which were getting caught up in the wind, which weren't getting the same distance as you'd normally expect. So it just became this thing of wave after wave of Brighton attacks, you know, and every time the ball went out for a goal kick, suddenly we had to try and play it out and they could reset their press and it was a problem. And I think we just saw for the first time a few cracks in that kind of confidence, in that bravado, in that willingness to try and beat the press and take the risks that they took against Spurs and against Burnley and against others. So uh, I think that that's kind of what happened and that was a big part of why Arsenal couldn't progress the ball. Shaka's absence was part of that, as Art says, but, you know, it's interesting we talk about that line-breaking pass from Gabriel, but then there was a piece of miscontrol from Martin Odegaard. And I think yeah. the technical security that you normally would look to get from Odegaard or Partey or others just wasn't really there. You know, I think pretty much everybody had a bad day on the ball, possible exception of Emil Smith-Rowe, who I thought was kind of oh. the, the oh. bright light from an Arsenal perspective. And, you know, I saw the stats. He passed the ball at something like 95%, even in the opposition half. Brilliant ball retention ability, offered a threat on the break, ball carrier too. You know, he was great again, as he has been all through the season, really. But I just think Arsenal, the rest of the team, came up against a test where they they struggled, they found it difficult, but that they held on. To come back to that point, they took the point. And I hope that this will be a big learning experience for them. You know, Mikel Arteta will be loading up the video machine, I'm sure, and looking at this press 
looking at how Arsenal struggled and, and trying to find out how can we play through there? What were the opportunities? What were the passes to pick? How should we have done better? Uh, and hopefully in time, you know, they'll reflect on this as a positive experience and one that they use to improve. I, I hope that Mikel Arteta has something a little bit more advanced than a video machine as well. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but... an, old, an old piece of real film <laughs> clicking through a projector. Real to real, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, take a draw, move on, uh, which is what we shall do. By the way, there is a very good piece uh, on the uh, Athletic website by George Culkin uh, about tribalism in football. I think the one pleasing thing uh, for me watching that game at the weekend was uh, hearing the Arsenal away fans and the noise they made. James, I'm sure you were you were in there. Um, it's great being part of that when you're out singing the home fans. And I wouldn't say the Amex is the most vociferous uh, home stadium that Arsenal will visit this year. But th- that tribalism that George Corkin talks about, that, that it, essentially it came from... Um, an American uh, comment in one of the uh, one of the comment sections after a piece about the uh, the amount of hatred and uh, essentially taking the piss out of the away fa- of the uh, opposition that uh, English football fans go in for. But art oh, that's sort of the point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, at every even I guess away ground you go to, Burnley away, you're waiting, <laughs> you're waiting to hear the away fans, and I think Arsenal traditionally travel better than they are at the Emirates, um, so especially for those Arsenal away days, it is great to just, once you're in the ground, actually hear hear them. Um, and I know I've spoken about it a couple of times before on, on this podcast, but they're the ones you probably hear first at those away games, uh, like at uh, West Brom with Ramsdale yeah. as well. Um, and it does give you a charge, doesn't it? When you're sitting there watching it on TV and you hear those away fans, you think, go on, boys, there you are. And girls, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, that's what you feel. Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess it is quite funny as well. You do laugh to yourself when, when they do out sing the, the home fans. And yeah, they're going to have uh, probably tougher challenges than, than the Amex. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. it's still good to hear, nevertheless. It is. Uh, I mean, James, the, you know, I remember Pochettino, right? I've always made no secret of the fact that I quite liked him as Tottenham manager. One of the reasons that I liked him was he used to talk about the Arsenal-Tottenham games and talk about how he felt like it was the right sort of hatred. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's in the stadium, you properly hate them. And obviously on the way home, you, you don't get involved in any trouble. You just, um, you just move on. But that's what makes the atmosphere great. I watched videos. I watched some video that was going around on, on YouTube of American sports fans singing, I think it was Enter Sandman by, um, by Metallica. Mm. And I thought, I couldn't give a <laughs> shit, right? I genuinely don't care about any of this. But you hear Arsenal fans singing, shouting, I was going to say bitterness and bile, but you understand the point I'm making about Burnley or about Chelsea. Or, it, it's... Um, that's what makes it fun to go, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's not a huge amount of enmity between fans of Arsenal and Brighton, but no. the soundtrack to the day was very much Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. <laughs> that You heard that before the game, you heard it during yes. the game, and you heard I it on the did. train home afterwards. And it does, it does, you know, it's a big part of the flavour of English football. And when you, you hear foreign managers or foreign fans come to the Premier League, that is an, an element of the game here that they will always talk up, you know, the atmosphere and the rivalry. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. And I've got, as long as it's within, you know, some vague bounds of decency, yeah. I've got no issue with it whatsoever. <laughs> 
Exactly. What those vague bounds of decency are, we'll leave it to the fans to decide. Yeah. We have to police. <laughs> I don't police want to be the arbiter there. No, no, no. Well, no, you're not going to stand there going, no, 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 that lads, that's too far. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Okay, Ian Stone here on Handbrake Off with Art de Roche and James McNicholas. Um, the the uh, Arsenal women's team continue to impress. I think that's 11 out of 11, Art. There's a really good piece in, I think, the Times today, Jonas uh, Edval and what he's been, what he's done. He's taken on a, a, a good team that Joe Montemiro uh, passed on to him, but... He's made them better. They've got a test coming up, though, haven't they, against Barcelona tomorrow, European champions? Yeah, I think in terms of the team that he's taken over, there was definitely foundation there from what Joe Montemara did in his three and a half years at Arsenal. So you can't really dismiss that from, I guess, people on the outside. I, I then... wasn't dismissing No, no, I wasn't saying part. you were. I was not saying you were. <laughs> but um, I, I do think in terms of... Uh, Edeval's approach he's probably made them a lot more robust and competitive in big games one of the first things he mentioned when he was appointed in the summer was that Arsenal had to be better when they were pressed high that's something that they addressed very quickly this season against both Chelsea and Man City maybe need to talk to the men about that as well (laughs) possibly yeah (laughs) and I think um, in terms of um the squad as well. Joe Montemurro before and preferred to have a smaller squad with, I guess, more versatile players. Whereas Edeval very clearly wanted a bigger squad with a lot more depth. Um, one, because of the amount of competitions Arsenal are playing this season. So they've still got the last season's FA Cup carrying over into this year. And then, as you say, they've got uh, the Champions League group stages starting on um, Tuesday which is tomorrow. (laughs) Um, And um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. I think Montemore actually, I guess it's quite smart. A few years ago, he he organised a few uh, pre-season friendlies against uh, Barcelona and Wolfsburg, who who are both very... um, Yeah, strong teams. uh, Yeah, very strong teams with a decent history in the Champions League. Um, And uh, on both occasions, I think Arsenal lost, but it was about setting the mark uh, for where Arsenal wanted to be in, in the future. Yeah. And now Arsenal are actually there. And it's, it's not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. But I guess that was part of Montemura's vision from a, at least two years ago, that now it's a time for Idaval to just take up the reins and, and show that he can, I guess, yeah, continue making Arsenal competitive in those games and, and taking them uh, even further forward. James, this is, I mean, what, what Art was talking about there was strategic thinking, right? And we're talking about two years back. Maybe with a men's team, they have to show a bit of patience like like the supporters of the women's team have and they're seeing the results now. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think also the club have to take a bit of credit for some serious investment in the women's side, which maybe hadn't been as present. They've they've brought in some big, big talent. They're trying to keep uh, some even bigger talent in terms of Vivian Miedemar, whose contract runs out relatively soon. Um, you know, I think it's made a huge difference. It's all right saying... I'd like a bigger squad, as Idaval has, but you need to deliver on that and you need to bring in the right players and the right profiles. And on the women's side, the club absolutely have done that. There's also been big turnover on the men's side, like you say, and it does feel like a kind of fresh start. It's that curious thing where Mikel Artes has actually been at the club for quite a long time. And yet there is also this feeling that maybe in the last few weeks almost feels like the first time we've really seen his team, his yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that will frustrate many fans because they'll say, well, he's had an awful long time to get the team where it should be. And yet it feels like that period of judgment only truly commences now. Um, it, it's a really important season. It's a really, really important season for the men's team because because of Arteta's contract situation as much as anything. You know, I think a decision on his future will probably need to be made around the end of this campaign. I think he'll have one year left at that point and they won't want the uncertainty of that necessarily going into next season. So it's a defining period. Uh, a lot of the work has been done off the pitch in terms of the transfers, the support, the strategy. But I do think it is on the coach now. And, you know, earlier in the show, you said, did he come up against a better coach in Graham Potter? It's really difficult to judge that. But what I would say is Potter is someone who's got that Brighton team kind of fulfilling his will. They, they are playing his idea, his vision of football, and that's very clear. There's an obvious plan and they all adhere to it. But that hasn't always been as easy to see with Arteta's Arsenal, and that's where he needs to get, as well as obviously getting the points on the board that we require to be in contention for European places. Quite, and five goals in seven games. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we need yeah. to improve that, for one thing. Um, one other thing we want to talk about, uh, Thomas Rosicki uh, turns 41 today. Sanya plays it across, Rosicki's there and scores. Arsenal have turned this game round, they were two goals behind and now they have the lead. What a comeback so far, this is a brilliant game at the moment and a great finish for Thomas Rosicki, got to give him great credit for that. James, I'll start with you. I mean, I mean, I loved watching him. Injuries maybe stopped him from being an Arsenal legend, but I remember the one of the goals he scored against Spurs in one of the five twos. <laughs> I love saying one of the five twos. Yeah. I mean, he he joined the club uh, in two thousand and six. Uh, two FA Cups, one hundred and seventy appearances, nineteen goals. But it could have been so much better, couldn't it? Really. Yes, I think that's true. He was an incredibly gifted player. I remember when Arsenal signed him, the excitement, I think, was it at the Euros or the World Cup? We, you know, we'd we'd done the deal and then he banged in a goal for the Czech Republic from about 30 yards oh, and we yes. thought, what have we got here? As it turned out, he didn't do that all too often in an Arsenal shirt. Um, scoring goals was n never a big strength of his, but he did get some big ones, especially against Spurs. In the 5-2, like you say, I remember fantastic one at White Hart Lane off the outside of his right boot that flew oh, into the yes. far top corner. Yes. There was one in, a, I think, an FA Cup tie where he robbed Danny Rose on the halfway line, sprinted through to the goal and chipped the keeper. The thing that was incredible about Thomas Wazitsky, he missed so much football. He had those terrible hamstring problems. You know, I think he had multiple surgeries to try and fix that situation. But he used to talk about his football age as opposed to his real age. And because he missed so much football, when he played, 
he seemed to have a kind of uh, effervescence and youthfulness about him that belied his true age. And he had an incredible sprint on him. In, on him, he had a, a fantastic energy. I think he's a player who could absolutely have played, you know, in this current modern Premier League because he had that sprinting power, he had that intensity to his game as well as the technical ability. I absolutely loved him. Uh, I wish we'd seen more of him. He's now working, I think, as the technical director in mm. Prague. Maybe it's Sparta Prague. I want to. I hope that's yeah. right. And who knows? You know, maybe one day we'll see him back at Arsenal in some capacity. But if he does come back, he'll get a fantastic reception from the Emirates crowd because. He was a super player, super attitude, and someone I know all the coaches at Arsenal particularly really adored. That little uh, little known fact about that uh, goal against Spurs when he ran from the halfway line, my partner was coming to pick up my son uh, who was at the game. Uh, she used to pick him up so I could go to the pub, to the pub with my mates. And uh, and when Riz- and she got there, I don't know, however long before the end, and when Thomas Rosicki scored that goal, all the police horses <laughs> themselves at exactly the same time, just uh, <laughs> out of interest. <laughs> she said it was really a sight to behold. Um, um, Art, he's... I mean, I don't know how much you saw of Thomas Rosicki, but um, he's the player we're sort of hoping that Martin Erdegaard uh, becomes, I think, right? I think we spoke about it last week, maybe, maybe James brought up like just like he just did about his pressing. And I know that's something we see in Martin Erdegaard pretty much every game, obviously not so much at Brighton, but I think that energy that he just kind of brought to the side in terms of dribbling, but also just being able to sprint for almost 90 minutes and seem like he wasn't tired. And the kind of the things that stick out to me about Rosicki are just Whenever Arsenal were in that kind of second half of the season fight for the top four, it always seemed to be him that that ended up scoring all the goals at the end of the season. Uh, remember, aside from the Tottenham goals, West Brom away, I believe, and um, uh, Sunderland at home as well. The kind of ah, yes. basically Wenger ball with uh, Jack Wilshere and Giroud, and then he just chips over the goalkeeper. So. Doesn't yeah, get think... as quite doesn't get quite as much press that one as the Jack Wilshire one against Norwich, <laughs> does it? But it was equally no, it good. Yeah, I think. Oh, if that's no, that's not a conversation that I should probably bring up. Which one was better? But um... <laughs> we can do that at some point. Can do yeah, that at, some, at point. some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, definitely he's one because uh, I think also my probably one of my favourite seasons was the. 07-08 season and he obviously played a, a major role in that season so um, definitely look back with fond memories on Tom, Thomas Rosicki. Yeah and happy birthday 41 years old. Uh, let's have a song uh, before we end the pod. Uh, Art we'll come to you first. Uh, so I'll go with Clarity by Mac Miller because it feels like that's what the Brighton result almost gave people after having such a high after the Tottenham game. Now, I guess the level of the team is a bit clearer, so I'll go for that. Clarity, clarity, clarity. Figure out a sound, I ain't gonna take charity. Nice. What about you, James? Uh, I've gone for Umbrella by Rihanna, because I wish I'd had mine. <laughs> uh, the, the yeah, fair enough. Are you allowed to take him in, though? To be honest, <laughs> I'm know, just wondering, so can, can it not be used as some sort of weapon or something? Almost certainly. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll have Take It Easy by the Eagles. I just, I genuinely, I, I look at the fans and the, the, 
the reactions, and I just think, calm down, for goodness sake. I'm not going to say it's only football because I'm, I absolutely don't think that. But it's a long season, and uh, as Lee Dixon said, take the point, get on the bus, move on. That's it. Thank you to James. Thank you to Art. Uh, and thank you to Abby, our producer. We're back next week in uh, the uh, international break. Uh, hopefully Saka has a minor injury so he doesn't play uh, in that. And we can get him back fit and ready for the game in a couple of weeks. And thanks to you guys for listening. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Mm-hmm.